So we're wrapping up uh, our series in Joshua this week. Uh, so faith and courage, this is, this is the last week of that. And what we're going to be talking about today is pretty appropriate for the end of the life of somebody that was as accomplished as Joshua was. Uh, we're going to be talking about passing the baton. So you might have personal experience with this if you like ran track in high school, right? Like you run track in high school and there's, if you're a fast runner, then you get to hand the baton off. If you're not fast, then they put you on like shot put or something. Um, I don't have any personal experience with that. Uh, or if you were an Awana, if you're like a certain age, right? Then you ran Awana and you did the, the baton handoff in the circle over in the gym here. Uh, this is a little bit different than that. In 2019 at the world championships, the world, the, the four by 100 liter, meter relay, the Chinese women had never won a medal in the world championships or in the Olympics. And they're like middle of the pack, third, fourth place. And they get to the last handoff. And the, the girl that's the last one, she's a world-class sprinter, right? And she just leaves a little bit earlier than she should. And then the girl that's third can't quite catch up with her. And they ran past the yellow line that says you're not allowed to pass the baton anymore. And so then they like had to stop and then they like go back to the beginning and they hand it off and then they go finish the race. But as soon as they crossed that yellow line, it was done. They were disqualified. So even though they technically finished the race, their official time is disqualified, rule 170.7, incorrect baton handoff. Like that's they were just done. They didn't get to finish their race because of that. And so in track and field, if you mess up handing off the baton, that costs you the race. Like they didn't medal. They could have medaled. They were that close, but they didn't get to because they screwed up the baton handoff. And, and it's similar in some ways to our Christian lives. We have to hand off our faith to other people. We have to hand off the baton of, I'm following Jesus and I'm trying to help you follow Jesus. And we've got to be able to do that and help other people sort of grab that and move that forward. My big idea this morning is this, following Jesus must include helping others follow Jesus, right? It's not a solo sport, it's a team sport. And we've got to constantly be handing off to other people and say, you need to do this too. You need to take the next step. You need to come along with me. So we're going to be talking through the end of life for Joshua. And that means that it's a long time since last week for Joshua. So Joshua talked about the Gibeonites. That was years and years and years and years ago for Joshua. Uh, what happened was we were in John, or Joshua chapter 9, right? And then Joshua 13, they did some conquest. And Joshua 13 says that Joshua was old. And then there's a bunch of times where they're dividing up the land that they conquered and, and making sure that everybody gets enough land. And like, okay, this, is, this hasn't actually been conquered yet, but we're assigning this to you to conquer. And they, they assigned all the land and they conquered a big chunk of it. And then more time went by. And then in Joshua 23, uh, it says that the, God gave the people rest from their enemies. And so there was a point in time where they had conquered enough and they had divided the land. And so they had a chance to sort of have some rest, to not be fighting every moment. And then at that point, Joshua has this challenge that he, he gives to some of the leaders of Israel. And he, he talks to them about what their next steps are. But then we're going to be in Joshua 24 today where he's talking to the entire nation of Israel. So it seems like there's these two challenges, 23 is the leaders, 24 is the entire nation. So we're going to start in chapter 24, and we're just going to start in verse 1. Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, 
and summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So this is the end of Joshua's life. He's won a lot of battles. He's accomplished a lot as God's appointed leader. Uh, and to a vast degree, his life's work is accomplished. Like he's, he's done. And so he gathers the people together, but he's concerned not because he hasn't done what he's called to do, but because he recognizes that there's going to be another generation that's going to have to walk in obedience, that's going to have to do a lot of the same things that he did in obedience and trusting God. So all the things that we've talked about the last six weeks about how Joshua was humble and teachable and courageous and all these different things, that means that the next generation has to do all those things as well. And so Joshua's concerned that they might not be ready for that. So we're going to move on to chapter, verse 2. Then Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. My first point the story is that we, or this morning is that we need to tell some stories. Joshua goes from verse 1 to verse 13, and he talks through the entire history of Israel. He's, he starts off with Abraham's dad, right? Abraham's the founder of the nation. He's the first one that was like actually an Israelite, right? And so he says, yeah, his dad, he was worshiping different gods. And so when Abraham started off, there was some different things in his life that God had to sort of sort out. And he goes through Abraham and he talks about Abraham's life. And then he talks about Abraham's kid's life and Abraham's grandkids' lives. And then off to Egypt, into slavery for several hundred years, right? And he talks about how God miraculously brought out the fathers and the grandfathers of the people he's talking out out of slavery in Egypt, right? Across the Red Sea into the promised land. And he concludes about how God has been faithful to them in the same way that he's faithful to all those previous generations, right? In verse 13 of Joshua, he says, or 24, 24, 13, there we go. I gave you a land in which you had not labored and cities you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And so God is telling the people, listen, I've been faithful for hundreds and hundreds of years to this nation and you are reaping the benefits of that faithfulness. You're sitting in a vineyard that you didn't do anything to grow and you're enjoying the fruits of that vineyard. You're sitting in orchards that you didn't do anything to plant and you're enjoying the fruit of that. That's my grace to you because I've been faithful for all this time. And Randy preached about a couple weeks ago, remembering what it means that God's faithful to us and reminding each other of what that means. And, and honestly, reminding each other of God's faithfulness is a big piece of handing off the baton. Like, I have to be able to tell the story of God's faithfulness to me and remind people that God is still faithful. That it's not just some abstract story in a book that you read, it's real and it's alive. Right, so in 2004, God told me to go to seminary. Right, I, I didn't have a job at the time. <laughs> and so instead of choosing to go out and find another job, God said I needed to go to seminary. That was a big step of faith for me, right? It's a big step to say, all right, wife of mine that we've been married for a year and a half, like you're going to support me as I go back to school, which we haven't really talked about, but God told me, so I kind of have to. Like we can talk about it now, but also I, I kind of have to do it, right? And that was, that was a tough step for us, but it also wasn't completely unexpected. And I say that because I'd heard the story about my dad so many times, 
So my dad was a missionary for a while, or he was in mission school, and he taught at a mission school for a little bit, and then God called him to plant a church in Detroit. This is back in the 80s. Church planting was not cool. Um, it wasn't well supported. It wasn't like today where you can kind of go out and find a couple of organizations and they'll support you. Like he pretty much did it on his own. But I'd heard that story and I saw how God was faithful to him because he was obedient. And I'd seen the fruit of what God had done because he was obedient. And so when I looked at that, I'm like, well, you know, if God was faithful to dad through that, this seems like less of a challenge for God than that was. Like I should be able to be obedient in a smaller way than my dad was. That, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. And so because I knew the story of our family history and kind of some of the steps of faith that I, our family had taken, it was easier for me to say, yeah, you know what? God does sometimes do that. And when he calls you specifically, he's faithful to you. And so I'm just gonna be obedient because I knew that that was the thing that God would honor. And so when God calls us to trust us in new, him in new situations, a lot of times it's not something that's completely unique. A lot of times we have people around us, and if we're paying attention, we can learn from those stories. And, and we have the opportunity to pass that on as well, right? So I would hope that in, in 30 years, if there's a global pandemic, right, that my kids are like, I don't know how we're going to get through this. They can come to me and be like, oh, yeah, we had a global pandemic. You were too young to remember. Let me tell you about how God was faithful to our community of faith through a global pandemic, like, that's a story that we all have now because of, of what we have seen God do in our lives. And we can share that story to another generation. Be like, yeah, you know, it was tough. And also, God got us through that. And so we need to hear those stories of God's faithfulness from the people that are around us. And we need to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to us in order to build that into a new generation. And, and when I think about this, there's a lot of things that I don't personally have experience with. And that doesn't mean that I don't know that God is faithful through it. Meaning, if I, I've never had a major health scare. Like, we've been very fortunate. We haven't had health issues like a lot of other people have. But I know that if I'm in the hospital unconscious because of a health situation, I've heard Mike Durning tell that story so many times of how he had a heart attack and God was faithful to him and to Terry through that whole thing. And some of that was us as a part of their community, right? So I know that story of God's faithfulness in spite of something that's really difficult, right? And so I don't have to worry like, oh, well, is God faithful if I've got a heart attack? No, I know for sure that that's true because that's a story that, that I know from our community, and, and I've never lost a sibling. I've never lost someone that's really close to me. But I, I've watched Steve Collard walk through losing his brother over the last year. And so I understand, like, God is faithful and God can work through even a deep loss like that. I understand that, not because I've done it, but because that's a story that our community has experienced. I can learn from that. And so it's not necessarily about what I've lived through, but it's all of us as we live for God together and we have experiences of God's faithfulness as a part of a community, we can share that with one another, remind that of one another, and, and be encouraged that God is actually still working, that God is actually still faithful. My first application question isn't actually a question. <laughs> it's more of a task. I want you to look for opportunities to tell people around you about how God has been faithful to you. Because I know a lot of the stories that a lot of you have lived. 
Like, for some reason, you guys tell me and you don't tell each other. I don't know why that, why that is. Um, but I, I think you need to do that. And just think about, like, how has God been faithful to me over the last 2, 3, 10, 12 years, whatever it is. And then think of someone that might, that might be helpful for. And I say this, that sounds like you're going to brag. You're going to brag, but you're going to brag about God's greatness, so it's, it's allowed, right? You're not going to brag about how amazing you are. You're going to say, God was faithful to me in this situation. Hey, if you're going to be in a life group, if you're going to start a life group, if you're in leadership, this might be a great way to get to know somebody. Uh, this is a great way to just share who you are as a person. Like, hey, I'm not that amazing, but let me tell you what God's done in my life. In fact, if you're going to lunch today, that might be a great time. <laughs> Even if it's with people that you know pretty well, it's good to remind ourselves of some of those stories. Or maybe you're getting together with some family on Labor Day, right? Like these are opportunities where we just talk to people about stuff. Hey, you've got some story that you're like, this person's gonna wanna hear this story. We all do that, right? So maybe the story of how gracious God is is a good one to add into that. Joshua goes on with this challenge. After he's told the story of how faithful God has been to them as a community, he moves on and he's, he's got this challenge in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua offers them a decision based on what they have seen God do. Right? So they've experienced the faithfulness of God. And he says, now that you've seen and remembered what God is actually doing, you need to actually make a decision based on that. So he looks at hundreds and hundreds of years of history. Look at all this faithfulness that God has. Based on all that, what are you going to do? It's a loaded question. We all know it's a loaded question. But also, he's pointing them in the right direction. He's telling them, if God is this faithful, obviously you should keep serving him. And I'm going to serve him. If God's not good enough for you, go pick an ancestral God. Right? Like, if you don't think that God's faithfulness is adequate, go figure out somebody else that you're going to worship. And the one that he offers, he says the gods of, of your fathers, right? Mind you, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history. None of them remember those gods. This is like me saying, if God's not good enough, you should go worship Odin. You're like, Odin? <laughs> that's the other option? Well, yeah, it kind of is. But then the other option that he offers is, also, if that's not one that you want to go, look around you. What is the culture around you doing? Maybe you should worship those gods too. Maybe that's a better option. Look around at the culture. Are they happy? Are they satisfied? Are they reaping the, the benefits of their worship? And if you view that as a better option, maybe that's what you should think about. Joshua obviously is not going to walk away from God. He's said, God is faithful. God is obviously the one that we should be serving. I'm going to choose to continue to, to serve God. By the way, it, there's a certain generation of Christian where this was on your house, like for sure, if you were a Christian. Like your grandma, if you were raised in a Christian house and your grandma's a Christian and was her whole life, this is like a Hobby Lobby thing in her front hall. Choose you this day who you will serve. Or the other one, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They always skip the part about the Amorites. It's not, not a Hobby Lobby verse, but the other parts, like we, we really like those parts, right? 
But there's a lot more depth to what Joshua says when he says, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot more depth than just like a little hanging on the wall that says, oh, we serve God. Um, there, there's a couple of things that I wanna, I wanna pull out. The first thing is that we are better in our decision-making as a, as a group. Let me, let me work through that a little bit. <laughs> so Joshua is saying he's going to serve God. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that that's the right attitude. As a leader, you sometimes have to be willing to kind of go out and make this decision on your own. And Joshua is willing to serve God by himself if, if that's what it takes. But also, he's saying my house, the community that I'm immediately in charge of, we are going to choose to serve God. And also, it would be a lot better for all of us if we did this together. It's a lot easier to serve God in a community of people that are choosing to serve God than it is all by yourself. This, again, this is not supposed to be a one-on-one -on -one sport. This is supposed to be a team thing. We're all gathered together and we work toward the common goal of serving God. That's what we're supposed to be as a community of, of God's people. And it is sometimes necessary to walk by yourself. I don't want to discount that. Sometimes you're the only Christian and you've got to serve God on your own. But how much easier is it if you've got two or three or 30 other people that agree with you and can encourage you as, as you walk with God? So if you think about this, we all have people that have invested us and poured into us, whether it's one individual or a group of individuals. Like if you say, Nate, who's the person that's discipled you and, and made you into the Christian? My first response is like, oh, it's my dad. He's the one that's really encouraged me. And then I immediately think, well, I mean, my mom too, obviously, for sure. And then my siblings, yeah. And then there's a bunch of other people over the years that have invested in me and pointed me toward God and encouraged me and, and encouraged me in ways that maybe I wasn't expecting, right? I'm not the product of one or two or three people investing in. I'm, I'm a product of a community, this community, to be honest, right? Like people at Lakeside have poured into me over the last 30 plus years. And, and that's a part of why I'm where I'm at today. I haven't done this on my own and I haven't done this with one or two other people. It's, it's a group thing. And I know that all of us have that. We don't have one person in our lives that has invested in us and like, that's the person that really, if it's not for that person, I don't know if I would, like maybe we have a person that's more significant, but there's a lot of people that we hear from that encourage us, that build us up on a, on a regular basis. And that's the beauty of being in a community. That I'm not relying on one person like if, if my faith is tied one-to-one -one with one other person, then that's kind of tenuous. But if there's a whole network of us and we're all connected and we're all encouraging each other and building each other up and reminding each other of God's faithfulness, suddenly it's much easier for me to actually stay on track, to walk with God in a way that's consistent. Because if you, one person falls and eight other people are there like, oh, let me help you. Let me walk beside you. Let me encourage you. That's, that's much easier. So I have another application that's not an application question. Join a life group. <laughs> like this, this is an easy one. And, and I know that it's the first Sunday of life group sign up. So this is, you know, kind of obvious. At the same time, this is how you build the relationships that you need in order to actually continue and maintain a healthy walk. Like we all need each other all the time. And so this is a way that you can actually do that. They're all open right now. You can go into church center right now and sign up. And if you're in church, I understand you feel bad. So set an alarm for like two o'clock. You can do it then. By the way, if you're on the live stream and there's like one TV in front of you, you're already on your phone. Go ahead and sign up now. That's fine. <laughs> I know it's Labor Day. So we've got more people streaming than otherwise. But you, I, I understand where you guys are at. 
And, and the thing is, is even if you don't find a life group that works, if your schedule is weird or there's all this other stuff, be aware that you can't do this on your own and try and connect with other believers consistently and regularly that you can encourage and that can encourage you. Because we all actually do need this. We need people that are gonna invest in us and we need people that we can speak into. That's, that's a part of what it means to be a, a part of a Christian community. The second piece, and I think this is maybe more important some of the time, but the, the importance of actually making a choice, of being intentional and saying, I'm going to do this. And I don't care what anybody else does, but I have to be obedient to God regardless and choosing that actively. We tend to slide into whatever's convenient. Uh, don't do that. Make an intentional choice. We have this ability, I think, to just say, okay, well, I made a choice at one point and the rest of this is just kind of flows out of that and whatever's natural from that is, is fine. It, and we don't, like there's not days off. <laughs> there's not a chance to be like, I don't have to make any decisions today about following God. I can just not think about it. Like, no, you still have to make those decisions and not making a decision is a decision. And we, we know that, but we don't think about it that in relation to our spiritual lives. So you've got a day off, right? Like you, you take off work and you don't think about what's for dinner. There comes a point where it's dinner time and there's no food. Like that was a decision that you made because you didn't think about it. You didn't make any active choices. And so now it's like, well, it's either what's in the fridge or what I want to go out and get. And I've already committed to not going anywhere. So I guess it's the leftovers. Like, and that's a decision that wasn't an active decision that you made but you made it by not making a decision. And that's what we do sometimes in our Christian life. Well, I don't really, I'm not really worried about it. I'm sure it'll be fine. And then we end up with like, our relationship with God is like leftovers that were buried in the back of the fridge. Like, that's gross. That's not healthy. Don't do that, right? Like, we don't think about the fact that not being intentional is actually a choice that we make. David Firth says this. We need to hear the challenge that comes to us to choose this day. Will we renew our commitment to Christ and the work of his church and confess anew that we need to give him our undivided loyalty and service, recognizing that this is what it defines the people of God? Or will we take the path of least resistance that is in the end no path at all? Like when we don't choose to follow God, we end up not choosing anything and that's a terrible decision. Like, that's a decision that we're making, and that's a bad one. Nobody accidentally follows Jesus. Like, I can't just do what I want. I'm like, oh, I, I ended up following Jesus. That was so unexpected. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. And you don't accidentally make disciples either. Like, if I'm not intentional in saying this is a person that I need to invest in, that I need to care about, and this is, this is the community of people that I'm involved in, if you don't make that as a decision, it doesn't happen. And Joshua's saying, listen, I'm going to serve God. The people that I'm leading are going to serve God. And I really think that you should make a decision about serving God. And you should make that decision too. Again, following Jesus means it includes helping other people follow Jesus. That's a part of being intentional in my relationship with God means I have to invest in other people that also need to follow God. That's a part of what that is. So what's your plan? And I know that I just asked you this, and this is probably the first time you've thought about it today, and you may not have an intentional plan, but 
I want you to know the reality of making a disciple, of investing in another person. That's something that you do have to choose and it's actually hard work. And it may not always be very successful. So I've done discipleship relationships a bunch of times, groups, individuals, all this kind of stuff. And, and it comes out in all kinds of different directions. Some people that I've discipled over the years are walking with God and they're in ministry and we have a great relationship and it's awesome. And there's some who wouldn't pick up the phone if I called. And the reason for that is, well, I mean, I'm imperfect, so let's be honest, that's part of the reason for that. But there's also the fact that my imperfection has to be overwhelmed by the grace of God, and for you to receive the grace of God, you have to allow that in your life. And so, as you choose to invest in people, recognize your own imperfections, but also recognize that they have to be open to the grace of God in their lives. You can't make anybody else get mentored. Like, you can be there for them, you can help them, but if they refuse that, that's kind of a decision that they've made. But we still have to put it on the calendar, we have to schedule it, we have to make sure that we accomplish it, because if I'm not putting the effort in, then it's definitely my fault. Right? Like, if I don't make any disciples because I haven't planned for it, like, that one's on me. If I don't make a disciple because I poured into someone and they rejected it, that's them. But I can still stand before God and say I did the best that I could. So my application question here is this. Who am I going to consistently choose to serve? And, and obviously Joshua's asking this as choose the one true God. But what that means is that as I choose to serve God and not myself, then I also have to choose to serve the people around me. So it's, this is my relationship with God and I choose to serve God. And then God says, as a part of the things that he asked me to do, go make disciples. And so I have to make that decision as well. And if you select, I'm not serving any of these people or I'm not serving any of these gods, then that's a selection that you've made and that's also a choice. And that means that you're choosing to be selfish. And be aware of that. Like that's one of the options that's on the table if, is not making a decision, but that is a choice in and of itself. And that says, I'm serving me, I'm not serving anyone else. So I say this, and there's a lot of different people in this room and you've made decisions. Some of you have made the decision for a long time and consistently, I'm serving God, I'm serving God, I'm serving God. And you're not flinching from that and you're not bothered by that, you're just still moving in that direction. And some of you haven't really firmly made that decision. Well, I recognize that in a room this large, there's gonna be people that are in a different, different spots there. But that was the way that it was when Joshua made the challenge. Like Joshua wasn't look, standing in front of a nation that was all 100% in one place. There were some people that were faithfully serving God and there were some people that were not serving God at all. This can be a pivotal moment. If we're challenged and we say, oh, I need to make this decision, we have the opportunity to make that decision and, and make that decision going forward. And we know that there was a lot of people in different areas because in, in verse 23, Joshua says this. So Joshua is talking to the people. He says, choose who you're going to serve. Me and my house, we're going to serve God, but you need to choose who you're going to serve. And the people all say, we're going to serve God. We really want to serve God. And Joshua's like, I don't think you're ready to. I don't think you're good at this. And they're like, no, 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 really, honestly, we're going to serve God. And then we get to verse 23, and he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So he's saying, you need to serve. And they're like, we will serve God. He goes, then put away all the idols that you've chosen. That's us too. <laughs> we still are sometimes there where it's like, I do want to serve God. 
and that means I have to put away a bunch of the stuff that I've been following. Like this is the people of God, this community of God's people. And Joshua says, serve God. And they're like, oh, we should put these idols away. Right? Like they shouldn't have had those to begin with, but they did need to put them away. And, and I think we have to be aware that that's a part of the experience is that it's not the one-time decision. It's the one-time decision to start and then move in that di- di- direction and then keep moving in that direction and keep moving in that direction over and over and over again. Joshua says, if you're going to do it, actually do it and actually keep doing it. And that's the hard part. And we see this even in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church. It's the church that's in Corinth. And, and this church, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you're like, this church has problems, man. Like, it's, it's a problem-filled church. And that's why Paul's writing the letter, because they've got all these problems. And so he's talking to people that have made the decision that they're going to follow Jesus. And he goes through this whole list of sins, and he's talking about all the different sins that people get caught up in. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says this, and such were some of you, So all those sins that I just named, guys, I know that that's who you were. Then he says this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Like, we are naturally sinners. We are naturally idolaters. We worship things that we ought not to. We're very selfish. That's the natural place that we are. And Israel struggled with all of those same things. The difference is, is as the people of God now, we have the Holy Spirit and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so even though we're naturally sinners, when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I don't want to worship anything else. I don't want to be selfish anymore. I want to follow you. When we make that decision the first time and we do that honestly, then suddenly we receive the Holy Spirit and we have power to walk forward in that way. So even though we're naturally doing it all wrong, because of the grace of God, we have the ability to say, no, I am going to put this stuff away. I'm going to walk away from this stuff. I have been sanctified. That means made holy. I have been made holy, past tense. When I came to God, I was made holy. I have been justified. That means I have right standing before God now. I don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed because Jesus took my sin away. I'm I'm sanctified, I'm justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. So coming to Jesus in faith and accepting him as our Savior, that's the first step, but we have to continue to move in that direction. This is my third point, and it's not the most positive, so I won't finish here, but it's the reality. Joshua seems to have done a great job. He seems to have, have built a lot of important things into the people around him. He seems to have led God's people well. But it didn't actually end that well. The book after Joshua is Judges, and if you go to Judges chapter 2, in verse 7, it says this. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timoth Herez and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. So that's the sign off for Joshua. He's he's done all the things that God's called him to. He's challenged a generation after him and he dies and he's buried And all the people that were his peers, his contemporaries, they walked with God and they led the people well. 
And then after that, there was a group of people that came that didn't follow God. And I don't think it's fair to lay the blame at Joshua's feet. I, I think he did his best. I think he was honest in his efforts. But sometimes that doesn't pan out. <laughs> and so when we look at that, we're like, okay, well, what went wrong? Like, did Joshua mess this up? Did somebody else mess this up? What's the problem? And I, I honestly, like, it actually does have to be the next generation sort of grab the baton, right? Like, we're saying pass the baton. They've got to grab it and take it. And that's a part of, of the process. Josh McDowell says this. He says, you're responsible to your children, but not for your children. Meaning, I have a responsibility to pour into my kids and invest in them and to mentor them and to do the best that I can. And to other people too, to, to make disciples, right? But I can't make anybody else walk with Jesus. They still have to make that decision on their own. So we had two action steps earlier. Tell your story, join a life group. Passing the baton means that maybe we need to flip those around and do those the other way as well. Meaning, ask someone who follows Jesus that maybe isn't following Jesus especially well, ask them how God has been faithful. Help them to realize that God's been faithful to them. Maybe you need to tell your story first so that they understand this is okay, that we have permission to do this, but ask them, listen, how has God worked in your life? What has God accomplished in, for you? Because again, if they're trying to walk with God, there's probably a story in there. And then also, encourage someone else to join your life group. Right? If I need community and I need to be investing in other people, then a part of that means I need to invite other people along and I need to invest in them and I need to have that relationship where I can do that and I can, I can actually have that opportunity. So in the same way that handing off the baton is something that we all have to plan for, receiving the baton is something that we all have to do. Meaning there doesn't come a point where I don't have to stop absorbing from other people. I don't have to stop. I, can, I don't get to stop like taking from other people. I, I also have to pass it on. It's, it's all the time for all Christians, both. I'm receiving from others. I'm handing it on. Like you're not the last runner. You're not the first runner, but you're not the last runner either. You're just in the middle. So at some point you're gonna have to take the baton and at some point you're gonna have to hand it off. That's just the reality of the Christian life. And your goal is to do the best that you can to have two successful handoffs. Like that, that's your job. So what does this look like? Like when, when this actually works, what does it look like? Go, go to 2 Timothy. So this is Paul, and he's talking to one of the guys that he's mentored, that he's discipled for a long time. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? So Paul's saying, okay, you've got this. I've handed this off to you. You need to be thinking about other people that you can hand off to that will also be able to hand off to other people. Like Joshua, or Paul's not thinking about the next guy. He's handed it off. He's like, Timothy, you got the baton now. You're the one that's running the race. He's thinking two generations ahead of where it is now. He's like, you've got to hand it off and be prepared for those guys to hand it off to another guy too. That's what it's supposed to look like. 
So we have to be training and encouraging every generation. There's not a point where you get to stop. There's not a point where you get to quit. You need to be saying, listen, if you've successfully handed off, you've got your kids, your disciples, and they're mature and they're walking with the Lord, then you need to start challenging them. Hey, how do you hand off to the next one? What's the next one after that? How do we continue this? How do we continue to hand off our faith to a new generation? So the real challenge of the whole book of Joshua is in in verse 15, right? Um, It says, choose this day whom you will serve. And that's a challenge to every one of us. That's a challenge to me. That's a challenge to you. That's a challenge to grandkids. My grandkids. I don't have any grandkids yet. But, you know, that's that's where it's going to go. It's a challenge to every generation that we have to choose. But choosing to serve actually means both of those things. Taking the baton from someone else and making sure that you hand it off to someone as well. Like, it's all of that. It's not just about who I'm going to serve. It's how I'm going to serve God. Am, am I going to be willing to serve him by, by mentoring and by leading and discipling other people? Or am I just going to be like, I think I'm going to do a halfway job of serving God and then we'll be good. Because part of it is actually, a part of following Jesus is helping other people follow Jesus. That's, that's a part of what it is, right? And so the, the big idea that we had, helping people find and follow Jesus, like that's a part of what it is. So the question becomes for all of us, how am I going to help other people follow Jesus? Like I have to choose for me. I'm assuming that you're here. You've probably made that decision at some level. But I have to choose for me. Am I truly going to follow God? Am I truly going to follow him? Or am I going to not? But once I've made that decision, now it becomes about how am I going to help other people make that decision to follow Jesus? God's calling us to make disciples. Like that's, that's the last thing that Jesus said. I haven't touched Matthew at all, right? But the last thing that Jesus says is like, go make disciples. That's what this is. Go make disciples. Serving Jesus means not just me serving Jesus, but also me setting up other people to serve Jesus and help them set up other people to follow Jesus. Like that's, that's what the call is. It's not just me, it's, it's all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love toward us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with you. But more than that, we thank you for the opportunity to hand off our, the grace that you've given us to other people. It, your grace never ends with us. It's, we're, we're always a conduit to give your grace to other people, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to be faithful in doing that, that it wouldn't be about me getting what I want for my little spiritual happiness and then being done, but that I would be sure to, to hand that on to other people, whether it's kids, grandkids, neighbors, friends, anyone that needs to grab the baton, that I would be an encouragement to them, that we as a community would encourage one another to take the baton and hand it off again pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close out in worship this morning?